This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. The Athletic. Soon, the Qatar World Cup will be done and dusted and the FIFA Circus will gather up its branding and the Blazers and they will move on. But what next? What will the legacy of this World Cup be? The FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, as expected, says it's been the best World Cup ever. It's certainly been the most controversial, but has it been a success? I'm Adam Leventhal. This is The Athletic Football Podcast. The unique, cohesive power that this World Cup has shown, thanks to uh, everyone who was involved, to uh, Qatar, all the volunteers, workforce, all of you, everyone who has contributed to make this World Cup the best World Cup uh, ever. Today's episode is brought to you from the rather picturesque gardens outside the Qatar National Museum, which is well worth a visit if you get an opportunity to come here to Doha. Um, I have been telling quite a few people that whilst we've been here, and many have followed in my footsteps. It's been very interesting to see um, the history of the country, but let's focus on this World Cup. Matt Slater, senior football news reporter, and Laura Williamson, the deputy editor of The Athletic, are here to discuss the experience of this World Cup, what it means and the future. Laura, Matt, good to see you. Um, What we think, what the fans, the visitors from various different nations think, what those who have built this place think, and what Gianni Infantino thinks may well differ completely. We heard from the the FIFA president yesterday in his closing address. Uh, Matt, you and I were sat in the auditorium for front row seats to see what he was going to come up with. And he wasn't as combative as he was in his opening address. But basically, the the long and short of it was, this has been great. Let's move on. Big tick in the box. Yeah, it was very different to the eve of tournament rants, where he came in, I think, quite... I think it's quite emotional, actually, because I think he's had a, 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 he'd had a really bumpy ride for a few weeks and months, really, just in terms of getting this tournament over the line. A lot of pressure from the Qatari hosts around the narrative coming into the World Cup. I think they've been complaining, quite frankly, about stories they'd seen in the Western media, expecting the FIFA president to be able to take them down, um, as they can do in this country. So I think um, he came in there um, very keen to say something positive for the hosts, I think also the day before he just found out he was going to be unopposed for another four-year term. We can talk a bit more about that in a moment. So I think he was just sort of, you know, I don't know. I just, I just, it just all spilled out of his head. It was a real kind of brain dump. Yesterday, completely different. But actually strangely related because I think he, he dumped a load of news on us. A load of numbers, lot, fewer words, more numbers, more dates, and lots of news. And there were two really things that kind of struck out. One was that we've spent, stuck out, sorry, that one was we've spent so long focusing on Qatar. FIFA spent so long focusing on Qatar. That there's loads of other stuff that FIFA has to do. The calendar, other tournaments, 
um, you know, his own political ambitions. And we got lots of news about that. It's like business as usual. We get a, everything we've parked for a year or two. Uh, people are leaving <laughs> and arriving maybe, but people are leaving. I think he's going. Um, so we got an awful lot of, here's all the other stuff that we haven't really dealt with. And, and 2023 is hurtling towards us. And we're going to have rows with UEFA about the calendars. We're going to have rows with agents about regulations. So we got a lot of that. I also thought he was kind of, and this is related to the first speech, distracting us a little bit. You know, if you lot are sharpening your pencils to write legacy pieces about this World Cup in terms of human rights and LGBT and everything else that we were talking about um, three, four weeks ago, here's a load of news that your news editors are going to make you to write about. So I think I think that, I don't think it was as I think it was a different approach. You know, the kind of tirade we got four weeks ago versus yesterday's numbers in terms of what he said about this tournament. Well. We kind of, he'd been telling us, he's been telling us for weeks, it's, it's the best ever. He's already made his mind up. And they've got lots of numbers to suggest that. By the way, he said the same thing. Russia was the best ever. I checked. Sepp Blatter said South Africa, uh, sorry, Brazil was the best ever. It's IOC, standard, isn't it? Standard. IOC presidents, you always, some of it's politeness to the host. You say it's the best ever. And some of it is kind of almost like a, a mission statement, well, an article of faith. We could confirm, of course, the revenues of this four-year cycle, which was at 7.5 billion. So one billion more than what was budgeted four years ago. But I thought he, the point he's making and the point that Qatar's supporters and the people that work for the Supreme Committee, the organising committee, keep making is that he said unique and cohesive. I think that's really important. That there's been something special about this World Cup. It has brought different people together in a different way, i.e. non-boozy way, a slightly more corporate way, slightly more confected way, you might say, but certainly kind of, uh, well, people from different places, quite frankly. Um, and it's brought them together and it's been a party atmosphere in fan fests and in the souk and in certain places there has been a buzz and that's good. There've been no arrests, there's been no, no trouble, not here anyway, and that is an inherently good thing. Which is a f is fair comment. It has been different. There has been a different fan base, predominantly a, a middle class fan base, quite a lot of expats in terms of a, of a UK population. But it has also brought in people from At the stadiums. I would agree with that. But in the sort of free spaces here in Qatar, I don't think it has been middle class. Well, yeah, but you could you could go back on that and say, well, yeah, that's been people who probably should have been going to the stadiums couldn't afford the tickets and weren't given the opportunity and something that's just jumped into my mind that I went to the other day on the on the note of people not being able to go to games that would have loved to have gone to games I turned up at a FIFA legends shindig thing whatever it was called with legends playing against workers and the only people in the stadium were workers and that was the only game that they ever went to so yeah, fine. Fill up the fan fest with people that you don't want in the stadiums, basically. That's, that's the way that I, I view it, which, which feels really, makes me feel quite angry, actually, Laura. Yeah, I've, I've, I felt the same. I think, yes, people have been in the same spaces, but how much mixing has gone on there? I feel like people are, um, people are categorised and in their boxes and that's where they stay. Um, I went to the fan festival for... Um, France Morocco um, and obviously 
you know, the, the, the stadium was packed with the majority of people supporting Morocco, which was, was incredible to see. But at the fan festival, there were 27,000 people and most of them were just sitting down on the tarmac, very, watching this incredible high definition screen. Um, it, it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't feel, it didn't feel inclusive. It felt very, it felt very safe and it wasn't an unpleasant place to be. But, you know, how much, how much mixing has, <laughs> has gone on here? I, re- I feel, feel quite strongly about that. Um, and, and also this, I, was, I spoke to some um, Qatari women the other day and one of them said she, she stood in um, the souk with a sign that said, ask me anything about Qatar. Um, she st- stood there with her um, hijab on and she said for the first hour or so people just walked past and, and watched but then people started to creep up to her and started to, to ask the questions about why do, why do you dress like that, why is this, what are the rules about this um, and it was fascinating to hear her, hear her explain uh, but I don't, think, I don't think enough of that has, has gone on and it's understandable why because difficult to organize basically going back to the the news conference yesterday with with infantino there was there was some largely hand-picked questions but what he also said which i think was probably the most telling thing in in relation to the the one love protests ultimately anything that was the negative headlines about this tournament and i think it also came after the the migrant workers death Uh, answer that he gave which we'll touch on in in a moment's time basically what he said was and for people in the UK who might be familiar with it there's a a comedy character called Alan Partridge and he's having a conversation with someone about um, a quite a a difficult conversation about not getting a second series and basically what he says is oh let's forget about all this and that's basically what Gianni Infantino said which was I make light of it with a comedy example but it is insulting to the nth degree for him to go oh people just want to watch football why do you keep on talking about all this stuff stop shoving it down people's throats it was it was just it just sort of flew out of his mouth but i found that almost the most symbolic moment of that news conference to basically go just just shut up talking about all that because we're going to roll on and do as we wish and the football won in the end we've got an Argentina-France final, and everyone's going to remember that. Did, are, are you with me, Laura? <laughs> I am. I'm completely with you. Completely with you. It it doesn't fit the narrative to have people like us asking about migrant workers and to ask questions in press conferences about, um, which we did, you know, what do you think uh, about the fact that um, a migrant worker from the Philippines, yeah. known as Alex in his 40s, and that's all we knew about him, died at a resort um, used as a training base for the Saudi team during the group stage. Um, there is, there's an audible, oh, go away, stop asking these things. Ask me about Richarlison's bicycle kick and ask me about, oh my gosh, Messi being the goat. How many debates can we have about this? <laughs> yeah. He's brilliant. Leave it alone. Um, and, and it doesn't. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the narrative. And and you're absolutely right. It's it's just this. Can we just stick to the football, please? Um, it's going to be interesting. Interesting today. There's another technical committee briefing, and Arsene Wenger's speaking again. And whenever it was a couple of weeks ago feels like a lifetime ago he sort of was able to volunteer and oppose that he thought um, Germany and Denmark's protests contributed to them their early exit you know which is 
extraordinary thing to say. Um, so hopefully he's going he's gonna to be asked about those sorts of comments again today. Just on, on, on Infantino's approach, really, or how he chooses to sort of deal with questions like that, or, you know, not just yesterday. I mean, it's, it's sort of a standard approach. There are, there are two things that strike me. One, one is there's sort of a, an inherent kind of dishonesty about it. So I wouldn't mind if he stuck to the answer, which is, guys, what we're doing here is entertainment, right? There are people at home, they're cold, they're bored. They just want to watch some football. That's what we're providing here. We're competition organisers. We do the football, right? You know, look, the world's complicated. We know it's complicated. Go speak to the politicians about that. But... Infantino, time and time and time again, wants the politics on his terms. He wants the Nobel Peace Prize. FIFA presidents are obsessed with it. He wants to make these big sweeping statements about coming together and learning from each other and the Western's hypocrisy, etc., etc., etc. So he, he, he can't help himself. So he, you know, he invites the questions. The questions come, he doesn't like the questions. And then the second thing that I've found that he's almost... It's not a straw man thing he does. Where the question came from a really... Uh, uh, what did you say about questions sneaking through? The, be the best question came from a young Dutch journalist in the front row who said, look, it wasn't that long ago that you've been, you've been into the European Parliament, you've been around the world, saying, parroting the official line that only three workers died. And this, this debate, we've done it on the, on the podcast before, about how you define or how the Qataris are choosing to define work-related deaths related to this World Cup. And what a minefield that is. And she said, well, look, you, it wasn't that long ago you were talking about three, the official, official number. And then we got Hassan Al-Thawadi, the chief executive of the organising committee, letting slip in an interview with Piers Morgan and TalkSport. Oh, it, it, it could be four or five hundred. Sorry, we, we've got a new number. Talk to me about the difference. And instead of talking to us about the difference, we got another mini lecture from him about the importance of context. And when we talk about these numbers, it's really important that we put them in the right context. I was like, Johnny, do you, do you read anything? In every single piece these people in this room do, we endlessly put context, endlessly do it. We ask you for specific details on the context. Don't, t don't, don't tell us what we already know. And then we move on. Because that, that was him apparently dealing with that question. When we found out that the, the second migrant worker, um, John, excuse my pronunciation, John Niju Kibu from Kenya, um, who we knew he was in on life support, we didn't know how he was. When we found out that he had died, one of our reporters said to me, that's, that's two. That, that's, that's not normal, is it? And, and you know, like having to check yourself like that is... It's just, <laughs> just an extraordinary situation to be in, um, and and again with with he was a Kenyan security security guard working at the loose sale, um, and he died after um, Argentina knocked the Netherlands out, but it, it took it took questions from from us and from other media organisations. You know how is he? How is he? We've been told this, and then then his death is confirmed. Um, you know, that 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 information wasn't volunteered, <laughs> um, and and having and having that set against this idea that it's a unique, inclusive tournament, it just doesn't it just doesn't sit right. Yeah, and during Gianni Infantino's closing remarks, we did get a sort of an insight into the the financial side of things and the redistribution of of FIFA wealth and things like that. 
but I, I had been thinking about it as well and the almost the, the relationship that he has with the member nations is is ultimately I will try and do as much for you if you keep me in power and that's almost the agreement and that's a long-standing situation that, that FIFA have been involved in is that does that boil it down too too simply Matt? Uh, maybe a little bit I mean I, I would I wouldn't necessarily pick on only FIFA and isn't that politics national local no, no, politics hang on a minute, but, but FIFA and football is not politics oh sorry yeah yeah well yeah so they're a bit adjacent though aren't they um look I just just to explain to to listeners a little bit so FIFA does give most of its money away to football it, that 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 is true and there are a lot of good people that work at FIFA and they uh I would say about two-thirds of its members football federations around the world without FIFA would fall over tomorrow the national headquarters, the training base, if they've got one, the wages of their international team's coaching staff, pretty much all comes from FIFA. And FIFA makes its money once every four years. Pretty much everything else it does, all the other tournaments, either run at a loss or they barely wash their face. They used to make some money out of EA, FIFA, but that relationship's coming apart now anyway. Um, they're trying to diversify their, their, their revenues as well, with TV and et cetera, et cetera, more licensing, more sponsorship. But primarily, FIFA's a one-trick pony. It's this World Cup. So the 7.5 billion you talked about, that's their four-year cycle. It actually is one billion more than budgeted. So when he says this is the best World Cup, he does kind of mean it. And he's got a number in his head. Guys, this has been really good. This has been a good one, right? So that's more money for all you lot. And the next one, 48 teams in USA, Canada and Mexico, loads of sponsors, loads of interest. We're going to really crack America. It's going to be even better. I reckon it's already definitely 10 billion. It's probably going to be 11 billion over four years. That's 50% up. Guys, that's more money for all of you. Cook Islands, Vanuatu, uh, Lesotho. All of you are going to upgrade your, your HQs and you're going to go, you're going to do more with women. You're going to do more with referees. All of that, all those projects, I've got more money for you. So, so that. That is part of the FIFA story. That is part of, if you like, the old-fashioned politics of it. I get it. People should people should not be shocked by that bit of it. And that, and that was the message with his with the legacy fund, as they're calling it. Was you know, I was in South Africa before before the World Cup, as in Brazil before the World Cup, and it was all about you know, let's get out to the townships, let's get out to the favelas, let's show you how this World Cup is going to transform the local area. There's been none of that here because they're loaded. <laughs> So, therefore, the, the money is about, it, it's, it's about projects for women and girls, you know, especially, um, throughout the world. And that's the message that they, they, try to, they try to hammer home in how much you know, ends up on the ground, we'll see. But it, it's, just, it's, very, it's very different in terms of what the World Cup circus leaves behind when it leaves town, for sure. We'll, we'll talk about um, what's going to happen on the ground here once we leave in a moment. Uh, about the stadiums and, and things like that but just one final one on um, Infantino because we've we've sort of half mentioned it a couple of times about the fact that he is um, he's going to stay in power um, for was it until 2027 or what, 2031 what there was there was any other business bit at the end of his little <laughs> speech where he went oh and um, I've had something clarified yeah it's like a Jedi go. mind trick. Clarify, I don't clarification know what, I mean, corner here. Yeah. So just to explain, uh, he got elected in 2016. Yeah. Uh, but that wasn't his first term. No. You, you can do three terms. It's in the, in the FIFA rule book. And we all thought 12 years. Right, there you go. Do sums. Uh, but no, that first term 
was finishing off Sepp Blatter's term. So he did three years, 2016 to 2019, didn't count. So he's just finished his first term, 2019 to 2023. I've already said he's going to be elected by acclamation in Rwanda in March. That gets him to 2027. I think we can all see the, uh, the final chapter of this movie all the way up to 2031, which will mean he'll be there for 15 years, a 15-year reign of football. Now, there aren't that many corporate governance experts that think that's a good idea. <laughs> he does. I just, I just find it, I find the whole thing remarkable. And it, I think if, if people are confused by why I'm getting so sort of... <laughs> being rough, FIFA president's great, no, but having been, immer- <laughs> having been immersed in this situation and living and breathing inside the FIFA bubble for, for a month, you just see the just the ridiculousness of the whole thing. He's a clever lawyer, right, from, from Switzerland, who not that long ago was like number two, number three at UEFA, and his job was to run competitions. And he, did it, he did it well. He then has this remarkable series of circumstances that catapults him to the top job in football. He now sits next to heads of state. Heads of state bow and genuflect to him. Don, Donald Trump, Putin... Mohammed bin Salman, the lot, the Emir. It's a pretty good gig. I think it I think it does something to people's heads. It certainly does. It certainly does. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Wanna get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's talk about what happens here after this World Cup. And Matt, let's deal with the the stadiums. Mm. Um, Eight stadiums, and there are sort of hard and fast promises and plans that have been put in place. (laughs) Well, according to FIFA documents and the Qatar Supreme Committee um, documents, there are. So we should take them at face value, shouldn't we? Oh yeah, okay. Well, look. So as you say, they built um, they built seven new stadiums. Uh, one of them they refurbished. The one we're going to this afternoon, the Khalifa, the uh, the home of your Qatari sports. Oh, you're going to the third, fourth yeah, playoff. Yeah, 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 I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that's the athletics track that they've uh, they've done up. Um, and there is obviously a legacy plan there because it's been around since the 70s, and yeah, it's going to continue to be used for sport. It's their national stadium. Fair enough. 
the other seven. Right, we're looking at one over there. I know this is a podcast. It doesn't really work. I'm pointing at the 974 Stadium, yeah. which is the one that's made out of sea containers, which is the best stadium here, by the way. Uh, it's the cleverest, the wittiest. Uh, it's the one I think that I will remember really vividly. That gets taken down. Now, I guess taken down for a few reasons. One, because I think they wanted to prove that they can, you know, demountable, fully demountable stadiums, but also it's on a really expensive piece of real estate. We're, in, we're basically at the bottom of West Bay, which is the sort of cool Manhattan-y bit. Uh, the Corniche is here. We're on the water. It's the only one also that's on the water. So that's going to get taken down and probably moved. They talked about kind of sharing it and all the other bits of the stadiums with developing football nations. I suspect, I have a feeling, we're going to see that at our World Cup again. So 2030, I would not be amazed if I see the 974 Stadium. Wherever, we don't know where the 2030 World Cup will be. I know that Uruguay would like it if it goes to South America. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if Saudi got it. Saudi might, might, might take it because that's been a winner. It's a good idea. It's a cool idea. So that gets taken down probably not actually till about 2024 because they've just managed to get another tournament here. I think it's the Asian Cup. Of the others, I'm not going to name them all. The idea is pretty much similar to all of them. Take off the top tier. So if you're, if you're an 80,000, you go to 60,000. If you're a 60, you go to 40. If you're a 40, you go to 20. Some of them are going to be given to the football teams, local football teams here, which I think is a bit of a stretch because these teams play in front of hundreds, not thousands. Some of them are going to be used for community projects. One of them is going to be used as a wedding venue. One of them is going to be used to sort of for shows. What shows? I don't know. One of them where England lost uh, to France, probably the... the the prettiest, Albait, it's the one that's shaped like a Bedouin tent, it is very, very, very pretty, is going to become a luxury hotel. In fact, the skyboxes already have baths in them. They are. It feels like a luxury hotel. There's going to be a shopping mall in there. and They're moving some cultural stuff up there. That's the one that's not in Doha. The rest of them are all in the Doha sprawl. That one you have to drive genuinely through the desert to get to. It's a bit of a nightmare. Motorway, but it, it still manages to be incredibly congested amazing Bedouin tent. The McDonald's next door is shaped like a Bedouin tent as well. But I genuinely do not know how it's going to work because you already, they've just built a new city called La Salle, which is a drive out of Doha where they want 450,000 people to move. That's where the final will be. That's already a bit of a project for me. It's a futuristic Yeah, you then go uh, 45 minutes it? into the desert to this place called Alcor, which has a population of 30,000 at the moment and nothing going on around it. There's nothing north of there. You're sort of thinking, what person is coming? I know it's a really lovely building, but what person is coming here to spend some time in a luxury hotel when there are 30 luxury hotels down the road and there's a really annoying drive to get here and there's nothing going on here i just you know and, then, and i could make similar points about some of these other stadiums as well so look they they have thought about it in that they are modular they can take bits of these stadiums out they have stuff on their website is any of it going to work i have absolutely no idea does any of it really matter because we're talking about an incredibly rich country i don't know at that moment it is it is important to say i think I'm not going to commit to this. I'll let maybe Laura confirm that this is the case. But we are going to follow up on all of this. You know, we're not going to let this lie and just go, oh, well, it might happen. It might not. We don't know. But we are going to come back and check ultimately because it, after all this fuss and bother, we can't just sort of up sticks, leave it and go, oh, well, yeah, we'll see. We're going to come back, aren't we? Absolutely. We, yeah, we've, we, we've got to because... 
basically I'm not sure anyone else is going to like you know our, our the hotel we've been staying in only only opened a week or so before the tournament um and you know what happens to the lots of people who who work there now like it's already in the in the last 10 days or so it's quietened down um you can you can see it in and around the city um there, there are not they don't feel a lot of people here i know they, they sort of said they were about half a million down on the the visitors they expected to come and you know that's during the world cup um what happens now and then what happens when it gets hot again <laughs> every year it just if but but then but that talking to people who live here and will be here that that suits them they they have not really liked it being busy by their standards um that they the metro which has been an incredible positive for a for a um a working journalist and for and for fans um you know the, the people i speak to don't want to use that you know they've got their they've got their big four by four and they'll sit in the car thanks very much um because you know clearly fuel is quite cheap <laughs> out here um so what what happens to to that it just it presumably just gets used by by workers going you know from a to b um it it will be fascinating in you know one month six months a year's time um to to, to come back and see how the how the city has been has been changed because you know even walking along the corniche it's sort of about 45 minutes from the museum of islamic art all the way around to the sheraton which was the sort of original um western hotel if you like um and it's all done up in the fifa branding and every 50 meters or so there's a speaker funneling out music and um at nine o'clock every night there's these i mean incredible firework displays and drones and god knows how much it costs but even that has only brought out certain number of people to promenade along with their families it's not I've never felt like it's been busy and bustling and that's during the World Cup <laughs> when there's fireworks and road displays so what what's that like normally on a on a January day well I think the Corniche has been one of the massive disappointments for me I've been, been I've been a couple times before and the Corniche is actually quite nice it is where Doha comes to relax and mm. chill out and there is a proper promenade yep. buzz you know, you'll see people exercising, you'll see people, you'll see, you know, multi-generational people walking around. And, it's, and, it, and I've been and it's been cool. I've liked it. But because FIFA World Cups are so controlled, everywhere you turn, there's like a sort of uh, amusement park style queuing mechanism going on for no one. Yeah. You know, you, know you, you think it's over there. It's about 200 metres. No, you've got about a mile to go, right? Because you've got to go. Duh, 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 duh. Now, but you've got actually, people there. Metro yeah, but, this but, way. But they've actually Metro made the Corniche hard to get to and again it goes back to that kind of basic numbers issue if you are displacing the natural population of Doha from the place they normally spend their recreation time and you take them to the souk which is where the tv cameras are and the life points are where they want to create that kind of carnival atmosphere or a fan festival there's only so many people here to go around so suddenly the Cornish has become dead it has become. It, it reminds me of a sort of a British seaside town in February. You hear, you hear the. I've started you, calling it the front, like yeah, it's clean you, you, hear, you hear the. All you hear is the flapping of the banners, and you're thinking, "Oh, this is all. This is really sad." And yeah, I've been before, and it's been cool. I've liked it. So yeah, it comes down to numbers. You know, they they've built, they built and built and built and built. Qatar's population has doubled every decade. As we keep hearing, and, and, and you know, this was a poor place 60, 70 years ago before they discovered oil and gas. Great, they've been on this remarkable journey. But 
I just feel that we're getting to sort of like a natural limit. Well, I think we've gone past the natural limit actually a while ago. Uh, this place in June and July is a very tough place to live. Anyone with money goes to Paris and London and elsewhere. Otherwise, you, you, know, you are living in your car in air conditioning. You go from air conditioned car to air conditioned shopping mall. I, you know, how much bigger can Qatar get? Final question, and it does sort of circle back to what Gianni Infantino was, was talking about, and also a point that you mentioned a moment ago about coming back for an Asian Cup. I wanted to just talk about something that he did sort of throw out there, which is not about a World Cup in terms of international football, but the club World Cup, which is quite a, a significant thing that he threw into the, into the mix, saying that there's going to be a 32-team Club World Cup. And you never know, after the great success of this World Cup, they might think, oh, well, you did a 32-team proper World Cup. Why don't you do the, the Club World Cup? I mean, the, the, the domestic leagues, by all accounts, aren't particularly happy about this plan that he just, this little grenade that he just chucked in, chucked in there. Is he? Or are they? No, absolutely not. It was a really, really strong statement from FIFPRO, the, um, the sort of International Players Union, decrying it. And again, it's, you know, this, this idea has been, you know, this is happening, and now we've got to work out how to make this happen with, a, you know, a small thing like the calendar and how many matches people are playing and where it's going to be. Um, you know, they, they also announced that the, the 22, 2022 um, tournament has been delayed for 2023 because we're here and it's December and it will be in Morocco um, but again it's you know this is happening now let's sort everything else out it was classic Infantino right so just to take people's minds back I mean this sort of stuff there's so many of these announcements people will have forgotten but in 2019 at the kind of height of a FIFA versus UEFA row about all sorts of stuff binary World Cups and etc etc Infantino against European opposition got got approval from the FIFA Council to go to a 24-team Club World Cup. Now, that was supposed to start in 2021 in China. That, that was arranged. Now, they never really got the details of how you qualify for it, etc., etc., because COVID came along and parked it all. So he's had this mandate, if you like, for an enlarged Club World Cup. Now, instead of, like, you know, reopening consultation and should we finish the conversation that we started in Miami in 2019 about how that actually works... He announces a 32 T team. You see what he's done there? <laughs> he's just had, he's just made it bigger. He's made the thing that Europe and the clubs and the players weren't that keen about. He's made it bigger. So this is what he does. It's constantly it's leverage. I you know I I suspect the compromise will be I don't know a 16 team one. But he's saying you didn't like 24. Well how do you, how do you like 32? <laughs> <laughs> This is classic Infantino. Yeah. I actually quite admire the opposite there going, oh, that's quite cute. <laughs> so, final, final, final question. Um, we leave here, we depart as the planes fly over. Um, do you have hope after this World Cup? Because you remember the last World Cup, 2018, in Russia, it emboldened someone in particular. Do you think this will... I mean, not to the same degree, obviously. You know, we're in a, in, a, in a completely different scenario with Russia and Ukraine. But do you think this will strengthen the arm of, of Qatar and think we, are, we can do what we want now? We have succeeded. I think, Grapple with that one. <laughs> I think they'll be glad to get it over and done with. Um, 
I think I think this was about show about saying we can do this and they they have done it um and obviously there's been incredible high points and real low points um but I think I think when that closing ceremony or you know whoever lifts the trophy on Sunday when when that's all when that's all said and done I think everyone takes a deep breath and right maybe we'll maybe we'll try an Olympics next time that's a bit less <laughs> that's a bit less stressful yeah. to be quite honest is that the plan do you think yeah I think so I, I, I agree with Laura there's been a lot of debate about what they wanted this for you know was it sports washing that's never really kind of made sense to me because if we sort of kind of go through with the logic of sports washing it is about kind of polishing a bad reputation because I didn't have a reputation no one really knew who Qatar was or where it was uh, 12 years ago. What they were about was about this driving sense of ambition and this, you know, we, we, we want to be noticed. And it, a lot is to do with the geopolitics of this region. I don't want to get too deep now, but you've got Saudi Arabia below it. You've got Iran above it that it has to have a relationship with. Iran is the great enemy of the Gulf, but Qatar is squeezed between the two and for economic reasons has to get on with Iran because they share gas fields. Saudi Arabia, you know, never really cared about Qatar, but still considers Qatar to be sort of an unofficial province. And as soon as Qatar gets rich, maybe it starts caring again. Equally, UAE, you know, who once thought that Qatar was going to join the UAE and chose not to. So there's an awful lot of tension and jealousy and bitterness here. Every now and then they come together with Arab Brotherhood, but Qatar is constantly having to make sure that it is noticed on the world stage, that it matters. Hence Al Jazeera, hence Qatar Airways. There's a reason that Qatar has spent its money in the way it spent it. It's about being significant on the world stage, hence the World Cup, and that is why the World Cup will be a success for them. I think once the dust settles and they get over their kind of bruised feelings around the narrative I think the elite here will think yeah no one's going to forget Qatar will they come back for the Olympics I strongly strongly suspect so will it have to be in the summer over to you IOC because that has been the problem in the past that the Olympics can't move whereas the football could because the football was sort of in charge of its own calendar can you imagine Olympics here in the summer I can't I don't think you can air condition a country can you move it to this window, which would be a nice window for a World Cup, uh, for the Olympics? In quite a few restaurants, and when um, Qataris come in and they order, they say, what some of them say, what's the best thing on the menu? What's the most expensive thing on the menu? And I'll have that. I've seen it time and time again. <laughs> um, and it, it, that, sort of, that sort of ethos of... Um, what is the best? We can do this, and I don't. And I, you know, I quite admire that. But I feel like that's been that's been a, a the thrust of this tournament for me. Like, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna put on this all singing, all dancing, you know, firework display before every match, um, and we can do this. So so watch out. <laughs> yeah, style over substance. Is that is that is that unfair? No, no. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, is it unsa- there is a bit of substance here. That kind of geopolitical stuff mm. is real. But is that, I think it's too deep for most people. But yeah, there's an inauthenticity about this place that's baked in. And some of it is to do with the fact that it was a very poor place. It was a dusty outpost of other people's empires. And they was, there wasn't much here. And then they got very rich, very quickly, and they built a lot. 
and they've tr they've gone around the world saying yes we're going to have a Place Vendôme style shopping mall we're going to have a Venice in our in our pearl we're going to have these amazing stadiums we're going to have a really cool metro we're going to just do the best of everything and you sort of think well what yeah but this this all feels like other stuff I've seen elsewhere and yeah it's new and a bit bigger but what's 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 you what what you yeah. know what what is the Arab bit here what is the Qatari bit here yeah and that circles us right back to my very first words that we were sat outside the museum and that has, uh, does actually tell you the story of this place and what's inside the museum doesn't necessarily transport to outside the museum but that's evolution I guess that's just the way we roll and that's the planet that we live on and we're not going to go into the future of the world on this podcast. That's too much. That's too deep. But Laura, thank you very much. Matt, thank you very much indeed. Uh, if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, um, follow all the, the footballing stories over the next 24 hours or so. Who's going to win the World Cup? But also the political stories off the field as well. Um, you can subscribe now for £2 or $2 a month for your first 12 months. As a helicopter flies away, we will say goodbye and we will see you after the World Cup final is completed. See you then. The Athletic.